Welcome home, where homeownership matters for all. A production of the Orange Chatham Association of Realtors. A voice for real property rights. Hi there, this is Marsha Vaughn, your host for this podcast series. And before we get started with this month's episode, I want to take a second and explain that we're having some technical difficulties. I'm afraid you're going to hear my voice come across much louder than our panelists today. And believe me, what they have to say is far more important for you to hear. We hope by next month's episode to have solved this problem, but if you can, you might want to turn your volume up as loud as it goes so you'll be able to clearly hear all of the conversation that follows. We thank you for your patience. Welcome to the OTAR 2022 Talk About podcast series, and thank you for being with us today for our August episode. I am, once again, happy to be sitting here with our podcast panel of real estate experts, Nada Bazinski, Jackie Tanner, and Jay Kreller. So ladies, not that it's over yet, but how's your summer been? Busy and steady. Okay, and I assume you're talking about your work life, not your, <laughs> not your personal well, life. Are we allowed to have personal life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't get that memo, right? <laughs> that's the case, I'm still going steady in my life. <laughs> right, well, our subject for discussion today is what do real estate clients most want to know? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to ask you guys questions but I'm going to direct them at one of you and then when that person is done answering the other two can respond or add to or disagree. And for our listening audience, we're really hoping that this podcast maybe more than others is something that you can share with your clients. We've gotten a request for that and um I, I know I'll be sharing this with mine. So, Jay, let's start with you. In well, I'm supposed you... to keep my responses G-rated. As well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might want to hear the question idea. first. <laughs> In your opinion, what's something you want every buyer to know getting ready to enter this market? I, well, I think, I, honestly, I think that that's an easy one for me. What I want every buyer to know is that this is going to take a little patience. Do not expect to be successful right away. Great good advice. Are, that's great. We can get lucky, but that's not the norm. What you've got to know is you've got to be patient even when you go in there. And if at all possible, start looking before you're in buy mode. Start looking at houses. I'm happy to show them to you before you're in buy mode so that when you have to go into buy mode, you are more confident and you can pull the trigger with more with more confidence. I think that's the most important thing. Great advice. Great advice. Mm-hmm. Jackie, Nita, want to add to that? Or? Oh, it's difficult when someone's already given, you know, a really good <laughs> right. answer to the question. Um, we, won't let, we won't let Jay go first anymore. My, my <laughs> to think of something in addition to say to that. I mean, I think flexibility would be another word that I would bring into the conversation with someone is that they're going to have to, and this has always been the case, but in, in the market, the way it's been for the last couple of years, um, figuring out where your compromises are uh, is is really huge. There's always going to be one, but in the market, the most recent market, I think that's been uh, a really big deal. Mm-hmm. People are going to have to be more flexible than they ever might have. Yeah, and I I don't know that new buyers really understand that they will have to make compromises. I think they walk in thinking, you know, I'm gonna, I want everything I want. Right, white picket fence, bolted ceilings, whatever it is. Um, walking, di- don't forget walking distance to restaurants and yes, shops for sure. <laughs> for two hundred. Right. Thank you very much. Yes, Nada, I 100 agree with both of those. I would say. Um, Having a thick skin, um, I don't know another way to say that, mm-hmm, but just um, mm-hmm. be prepared for disappointment. And no, I'm, I'm a firm believer, it all sounds pretty corny, but I mean, I really do believe the times that my buyers miss out and they feel like, oh, just crushed, that it, it really was probably not meant to be for one reason or another. It wasn't the right timing. It wasn't, something wasn't right about it, you mm-hmm. know, and ultimately... Um, back to patience and flexibility is that willingness to understand that you're going to maybe feel a little crushed and disappointed along the way of getting to the ultimate 
house that they mm-hmm. end up with. You know? I think ultimately is the important word mm-hmm. there because how many times have you had clients who were just crushed and then they say to you once they do buy a house, oh, I'm so glad that other one didn't yes, work out. for sure. It happens almost a lot yeah. every time. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. But Yeah. yeah. I is. think buyers really need to hear that. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I think people sometimes when it doesn't work out, it's because they've hedged their bets in some yeah. area. And if it's if they're new to the process and they don't, I think we've talked about this before on the mm-hmm. podcast, that trusting us yeah. is, you know, it's not something we get to spend six months building anymore. Mm-hmm. It really needs to be when they hit the ground right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, the, you know, and I don't blame anybody for this, if they've just met me, but not necessarily trusting my advice and maybe thinking, well, I could get away with, doing this instead of what you're telling me, then it doesn't work out. Um, it's generally when it's like, here's, get me this house, well, then here's what you need to do, then I tend to have a good track record mm-hmm, for that. Mm-hmm. Clients, pick your realtor wisely and then trust him or her. Try not to second guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jackie, what's something you want every seller to consider when selling their home. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to you or to other people. To everybody. I mean, treat others like you'd like to be treated. I think that's been my least favorite thing about this market, as we were talking about earlier, is that sellers just don't have to do anything. And when it comes up that the HVAC system... Well, they system, they have to do anything. Right, is on its last legs, and so is the roof, and the crawl space is full of mold, and they're sitting on $50,000 worth of non-refundable money. Um, please just take those other people into consideration and remember how you might have been like to have treated if you were in that situation. Um, other than that, it's, it's more like do repairs up front. Mm. Don't get surprised by something and allow some uh, allow this to inject negativity into a transaction when it doesn't need to if we can already just head that off right from the beginning good advice that's great advice yeah um anything else to add to that well i thought it was interesting the way that she answered it because when you asked that question i thought you were asking like Prior to listing your house, mm-hmm. what would you advise? What are you advising a seller to do? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was your intention. I'm not but, sure what my okay. intention was. So, I think just she, in general, she actually covered both. Yeah, and I think yeah. that. But her, what I understood Jackie's approach was, you know, once you're under contract, because inevitably everything, you know, in our market right now, because there's so little on the market and it is still a really strong market, that things will sell. Um, and so she covered that. But I think I I would say that. Um, and I think we've talked about this. I talked about it a little bit on our very first podcast, um, with buyers, but I think even more so with sellers, I call it front loading, like really Mm -hmm. just trying to, um, give sellers and buyers, but we're talking about sellers right now, sellers as much understanding of how the process will work before we ever get into the process, like what to expect, managing expectations. And with that comes, you know, with with uh, an experienced agent, I think it's very helpful. Um, when sellers are often, I, I've been in many situations where they say they're interviewing several agents, you know, and I think if they're interviewing several agents, that's fantastic. I think that houses in our market are going to sell. I think the difference of an experienced agent um, and a less experienced agent is... Um, the ability to know some of these, what's really important ahead of time, as Jackie mentioned, trying to address as many of the things that the sellers really know about. They're less inclined these days, unfortunately, to get like a a pre-inspection, a pre-listing inspection, although that would be great. Um, I think a lot of sellers do know that faucet drips every time and just kind of Mm -hmm. silly little things, but it all adds up. And if your sellers are aware of things, um, you know, prior to listing, I think encouraging them to address as many of the things that they know on the front end will only serve them better on the back end. And it will make our job of getting them the most money possible for their houses a lot easier mm-hmm. because we can move forward with confidence and mm-hmm. feel good about how we're marketing the house and not feel like we're going to be blindsided. And I think... A lot of agents, especially if they're inexperienced, 
um, may just go into it thinking, well, it's going to sell and, you know, <coughs> stick my sign in the yard or whatever. And then mm-hmm. they're blindsided. Their sellers are feeling like, wait a second, you know, why did this happen? And so I think, again, just sort of trying to educate and front load with as much managing expectations as much as possible with your sellers before you ever actually get the sign in the yard and the, and the, the photos mm-hmm. that one MLS. And, and I think you're making a really good point that it's important that sellers, and, and I, I, as a seller, I probably wouldn't think about this if I wasn't in real estate. What can I do to set my realtor up to be successful on my behalf? Correct. Don't take it personally. Yes. Yeah. When we tell you this room is too dark yeah. and we need to lighten it up, yeah. it's not a comment. Not this room, Marcia. Okay. Not this we're, room, Marcia. Wait a minute. Time out. We're <laughs> sitting in a dark room. <laughs> oh, no. What we're trying to do. When we tell you we don't like the artwork. <laughs> what we're trying Get to rid of the artwork. What we're trying to do is remove objections that we have seen a thousand times going with buyers through houses. We know what these objections are ahead of time. We're not telling you this just because we want to paint every house pale oak. We're telling you this because it works. Agreeable gray. Agreeable gray. Whatever your neutral is. There's a reason for it. There's a method (laughs) to our madness. Because buyers... I mean, buyers are still discerning. Yes. And sellers are getting overconfident. Yes. And so they're overshooting the price and they're not preparing their houses properly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we still have to do that. So this mm-hmm. is what I say when I'm in a bake-off with other agents. It's like, I promise you, any agent can sell this house. Mm-hmm. My goal is to make sure we sell it for the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. that is going to require a little investment on your part. Mm-hmm. And you have to buy into that. And how are people receiving that advice? I think they appreciate the fact that I'm not just telling them, oh, we can sell it, mm-hmm. you know, and because it's like, well, of course we can sell it. Anybody right. can sell it. In right. this market, you can sell anything. Right. You know, it's not hard, but I want to make sure that you get that money in your pocket mm-hmm. because somebody is going to make money on what you don't do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good line. Well, I like that. Pay for it one way, one way or another. Yeah. Uh-huh. And one of the things I heard when I did a, a CRS course um, was that he told us as listing agents to do the work for the buyer agent before they ever ever mm-hmm. get to the house mm-hmm. and help them to sell the house to their client. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and especially in a world where there are a, a ton of inexperienced agents who don't know how to deal with with negative issues around mm-hmm. the house. Um, to have thought about that ahead of time and positioned yeah. it such that, you know, somebody sees a shiny apple, they're going to pay more for it than the one that's bruised, even though they mm-hmm. might still taste the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So again, by our sellers, choose your realtor wisely and then heed their advice and respect their advice. That's what you're paying them for. Okay, Nada, here's the million dollar question. What is the real estate market like right now in the triangle? And are prices coming down? Interesting question. Because I let me just start by saying so many people read all the articles in national papers mm-hmm. like the New York Times and mm-hmm. Washington Post and mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are talking about prices coming down. But, you know, we're in a unique market. So if you can speak to that. Yeah, so I think that um, I noticed that March, April, May, and even a little bit into June was still like this absolutely crazy, felt like, you know, the Wild West, off the rails kind of market. Yeah, it really felt just overwhelming. And um, everything had ratcheted up. And weekend to weekend, it felt like prices were escalating in huge percentages. Um, and did you say through June? You I would were say through that? probably the beginning of June. Okay. And again, I have no idea, but I, I noticed it seemed to me that as there was talk of uh, interest rates increasing, even just like the talk about the market changing and the talk of the interest rates increasing. And then when the interest rates increased, I think in, in a similar way to when COVID first started, when there was a little bit of a panic and a pause, 
at the beginning of COVID where people really weren't sure how is this going to impact the market and they froze a little bit. I felt like that's what happened. And it lasted for a few weeks, maybe a month, five weeks, something like that. I mean, it it really felt like a, a very specific amount of time. And then it felt like everybody exhaled, like a collective exhale when they realized when I'm saying they, you know, I'm saying, you know, what like activity in our market, it mm-hmm. felt different from the point that the interest rate hike happened and then interest rates adjusted a little bit downward again. And then people, it felt like people were not as panicked because I think at some point the interest rates were right around six and people were gasping and thinking, oh my God. And sellers were, my experience was sellers were a little panicked that they'd missed the boat and buyers were a little like, should we even buy now? And how much extra are we going to have to pay? So there was this period of a little bit of confusion and pause, I would say. But then what I think happened in my experience is that because sellers were a little bit worried they were missing they were going to miss an opportunity to capture a buyer market at all. They, I was getting inundated with calls to list houses. Oh, interesting. Okay. In a time, as we discussed and earlier. And you, you guys were too. Where. Kind of, sort of kind of. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think summer as a whole, at least pre-COVID summer, you know, is typically very quiet. July and August as a whole, in my experience, like before COVID was just super quiet, like nothing happened. What happened for me was that sellers were sort of, it felt like coming out of the woodwork and thinking, we want to sell our house. We want to sell our house. So what, what I have noticed is there, there are more sellers who have wanted to put their house on the market, um, informing them as much as possible about expectations and adjusting their expectations to the newer market because they've heard so much over the last couple of years about really high due diligence fees and really high amounts over the list price and, and, and being able to talk to them intelligently about, you know, it may be a different experience for you. Nita, I'm sorry, define that quote unquote newer market. Um, and, and so that newer market starts showing up late June, early that's July. What I, that's what I think. I mean, they'll they'll chime in, but that was what I felt like it was sort of late June, early July. Okay. It felt different. It felt a little different. How different? So it, again, different. if you could define it. Well, I think that I listed a house, um, and it was the first time um, I received an offer with a due diligence period. I received lower due diligence. I received fewer offers than I would have expected in a month earlier had that mar- had the house been on the market even a month earlier, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were still receiving you were receiving multiple offers, but not as many. Correct. Okay. Fewer showings, fewer offers, offers that weren't as high as as they had over the list price as they had been. Due diligence fees that weren't as high as they had been. So I think everybody was has been sort of treading a little bit lightly. And what I'm experiencing is that agents are trying to again, we're 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 all it's 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 so fluid, you know, we're always trying to sort of figure out what's going on. We of course when we're representing our buyers, we want to win. But with this change in our market that has happened since late July, uh, late June, early July. Uh, with the with the interest rates ticking up a little bit, and people not being able to afford as much house as the, they the had stock been market able to, falling, um, and there's a little bit more, un, un, you know, uncertainty, and people are worried. Wow, am I really at the peak of the market? Am I buying? You know, is this another 2008 kind of thing? Then I think that we're just like that's what I'm seeing as, as a listing agent. I'm seeing. Not as many showings, not as many offers, but we are, if it's priced right and it presents well, we are still seeing multiple offers, 100% mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. seeing that. But it is, it is really imperative that, that, um, that it is priced right, that it does present well, that you have taken care of these issues as much as possible. So you do put your best foot forward and have the best opportunity for the greatest outcome on the other side. It makes it that much more important to prepare your sellers. Okay. 
That's what I would say. Okay. So coming back to what Jackie said earlier about expectations. Yes. Setting those. Well, and I think as I was talking with somebody else earlier today, I think that because there are a small number of real estate agents that do the vast majority of the business, and when the market is shifting like that, I think an agent that doesn't do all that much business isn't necessarily able to take the pulse quite as quickly as those who haven't. And I had an interesting thing this year where I had two houses literally next door to each other on the same street, uh, one called the Sack Street, that was it. And I called Jay because she had a comparable that she had listed. And I had sold the first house in May, I think, April or May. Uh, sold in coming scene status, ridiculous amount of due diligence, ridiculous price, yada yada. Put the next house on the market, and I'm having to tell these exact same clients, no, it's not the way it was before. And what was the time difference between the Maybe two? two months. Okay. And I will, so there were a lot of people involved in that transaction. It was friends who'd, who'd invested in real estate together. And there was one person in particular, and, you know, sending me articles from the Wall Street Journal. Oh, and I read so the helpful. whole thing. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Time out. Clients? We really appreciate your involvement, but we're sent all the time articles by you that do not necessarily reflect our market. Right. Real estate, like weather, can be local. Local. Um, so Wall Street Journal article, all these numbers, is it? I read the whole thing, and my one-line text back to this whole group is, these are May numbers. Mm-hmm. And it is now well into past mid-June. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so as far as I'm concerned, from what I'm seeing on the ground, that is irrelevant information. Because those are May closings, and so they were probably listed either end of April or beginning of May. completely yeah. irrelevant yeah. information, right. and so I'm having to sort of swim a little bit upstream with these with these people. Right. You gave me very valuable information saying that you had sweat that one, <laughs> and that was so helpful to me with my clients because I'm like, listen, this is somebody I really respect in the industry, does a, an enormous amount of business. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to it. I see it everywhere that literally this is in the same location, very comparable, uh, comparable house, not the exact same neighborhood, but very comparable. You know, and sure enough, although we got one agent who came and gave us a ridiculous offer right off the bat. Um, we love the young ages who are paying attention. We love the young ages who are paying attention. This is this is lucky, right? Mm-hmm. This is lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> then I had another one uh, where we had seven offers, and the appraiser called me because he said, "I have to tell you, he's been an appraiser for thirty-five years or something." He said, "I have to tell you all the appraisals I've been doing, and we're now in well into July, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, of late, while they've gone over list price, not nearly as high mm-hmm. as this one. Um, and I'm like, yep, young agent. So you went under contract Very with this particular agent. Went under contract. And if, you know, if they did enough due diligence to back it up, mm-hmm. they, they had a you decent know, amount. It, Fire could, it, it also could have been a buyer, though, that had lost out on Yes, they had lost out eight on nine just, other houses. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a wow. huge... Yeah, that makes a huge At some point, difference. you just need home. Yeah. Right? And they might then have jumped to looking a hundred grand less than they, you know, I mean, they're... You know, yeah. and did we all in all fairness to that there? agent. Yes, we did. Because yeah. my mm-hmm. clients were nice. Yeah. I sold them the house 20 years ago. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, when Jackie called, I, I had just had two houses listed in the same town, um, just about a mile apart. One I listed in uh, May, and then the other one was coming on the market second week of June, third week of June, maybe. Anyway, less than a month apart. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this, is, this is the numbers I told Jackie. It's like I had 39 showings. Wow. Seven offers. On the first one, mm-hmm. I had seven showing, mm-hmm. but I still got three offers mm-hmm. on wow. the second one. And one of those offers was a mile apart from right. the other two. Right. That's okay. not my problem that that agent wasn't paying attention. Yeah. yeah. Did a great job for my seller, but yeah, yeah. You know, they missed the boat because they're not paying attention. Okay. Um, you guys. Let, let's. I'm going to throw this out to all of you. And Nita, thank you. Beautiful answer to a big question. Um, where are we at here, August 23rd? Where are we at today in the triangle? Are we still 
is the market now representative? I didn't answer the question, Marsha. No, you did. You did. <laughs> She's trying not to <laughs> well, ask you, a question that ends in a preposition. <laughs> no, you did because you talked about the transition, and yes. that's really important for clients, buyers, and sellers to understand. But I just want to know, so are we here August 23rd at the point that you've just described? Or is something changing? Because all of a sudden the stock market's doing a little better. We didn't go into the recession that we thought we were going to go into. Okay. I, said, I think there was there was this, all this craziness, and I wish that I had a visual mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was sort of this inhale, like, okay. what's happening? Um, and then I feel like now we're sort of settling back into a pattern and far more balanced than I have seen since the beginning of the okay. I think that's okay. what it's about, is that the contract is is starting to become a little bit more balanced, which is what we were all really hoping for. Because okay. I think what creates that sense of panic in buyers was that everything was so out of kilter, that, mm-hmm. that the sellers held all the cards, you know? And that the, 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 the from, from our first podcast where we were going into the spring market, we were really talking, we, we didn't know what to expect. And then as we got into the spring, it really, some of our podcasts were talking about how it is, it was so much a seller's market and that the buyers had very, very little negotiating strength. Yeah. And I think what is changing is that the biggest point, I think the takeaway is where we are now is that the market is starting to balance itself so that our our contracts are feeling more balanced, where there is a little bit more strength given back to the seller, and it's it is balanced between the buyer and the seller more evenly now. Okay. It still probably favors the seller, but I think that the buyers are feeling a little bit more bargaining more yeah. strength yeah. than they had in the spring market when I, things were crazy. I would, right. agree, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's still a seller's market. Yes, but. It's not as skewed yes. as it has been for the last 18 months. Well, I think the other thing that's helped is buyers don't feel like this is free money anymore, which I, I think partly the yes. they were throwing stuff at non-refundable deposits and pricing because mm-hmm. it was so cheap to borrow the money and they didn't care. Yeah. And now that the, in, I think that's the, what's happened with the interest rates going up is the buyers are actually the one who are mm-hmm. affecting this change. Mm-hmm. Um, rightfully so. I wish right. they, you know. <laughs> not acted like it was free money to begin with, but that's yeah, yeah. it is what it is. So, well, and at, at different price points, I think at lower price points, the interest rate was really making a difference. The change in that, and then I think at higher price points, the stock market um, falling was making a, a difference. I want to add one thing, and I think this is sort of as as agents, we have a lot of like. In the same way that as things were escalating and we, when we were buyer agents, as buyer agents, as the market was starting to escalate in the spring and we had buyers who had lost out and they'd offer $75,000 of due diligence and $100,000 over the list price and we're thinking, and they're like, what is it going to take, right? And so it kept ratcheting up and ratcheting up and we only have so many tools we can use, right, to get to get a deal done, right? We only have a certain number of terms mm-hmm. that are negotiable that we can use mm-hmm. to help get our buyers the house, right? Mm-hmm. So the due diligence fee and the purchase price are the two most obvious things, right? And in that same regard, I think we as agents, as the market is sort of becoming more balanced, if we find that uh, as listing agents, we're receiving more offers. We're seeing more um, offers with due diligence periods. We're seeing more offers with more reasonable uh, due diligence fees that are no longer a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, but maybe twenty five thousand dollars. And those offers sometimes win. Then we have that information as listing agents. We take that information moving forward as and as we turn around and become buyers agents and say. I just had a house listed and we got seven offers. We didn't get 17, but we got seven offers and we and we got this amount over. Maybe it was 40 over instead of 140 over. And they offered $25,000 due diligence and they won. And then that gives us an opportunity as buyer's agents to say, 
let's give it a try. And you're more inclined to let your buyer know that they might have a crack at it. Where in the height of the spring market, if somebody had offered fifteen or twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars of due diligence, mm-hmm. like we can basically, we, we were telling them, I don't think you're going to have a shot. But I, you know, obviously we'll write whatever you want. But yeah. we knew that people were writing a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars of due diligence. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can we can we segue into a, another question because it ties into this, and I'm going to throw this out to all of you. <clears throat> so if a client says. I don't have to move right now, meaning sell my home and buy a new one, but I'd really like to. What do you think I should do? Should I wait or go ahead and jump in again here on August 23rd, 2022? My advice today is still going to be the advice I've probably given over the last 18 months, which is if you would like to move, but you don't have to move, start looking, Mm -hmm. lock down your exit strategy before you put your house on the market. You mean lock down your strat- your exit strategy as in buy your new home? Buy your new home. Do whatever you have to do to put yourself in a position to buy without selling. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of options for that right You're now. Right. Put yourself in that position to buy without selling. Do not put yourself in the position of having to buy under mm-hmm. the gun when you've accepted an offer and you've got eight weeks to do something. Is that primarily home. because of? Low inventory? We still have low inventory. We still have low inventory. And the one thing I never want my client to do is to think they might want to move and then move into something they're not completely happy with. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Lock down your exit strategy first, and then we'll sell your house. Okay. So what do you say to people who financially need to have sold their existing house? How do you help them navigate that that is a much stickier wicket. Yeah. I mean, that really is. It's it's almost like you really don't have any good option. Be prepared to possibly have to rent. Because, again, I would rather you rent something for a period of time than buy the wrong house because you are desperate. So if you're a voluntary mover, if you don't have to move for some compelling reason, I wouldn't move. Unless you're prepared And, and people who say, oh, but I... I if I don't sell my house now, I'm going to miss the top, or we're not even at the very top anymore. But you know, we are at the top. The it's not like we've come back. Now. We haven't receded. They accelerated to a point and have stopped. We right. haven't receded. The term, the terms are what have changed. You just, yeah, you're just maybe not getting all of the lovely non-refundable due diligence. Gotcha. But gotcha. you're still making top dollar for your house. Mm-hmm. You still have a commodity. It's still a seller's market. Okay. And I'm hearing a lot of anxiety about that. I think yeah. what people are focused on when they hear real estate agents talk about the market shifting and whatever happened, it's like they zero in on <gasps> these crazy prices. Are, they're gone. I'm never going to get what my neighbor got for their house. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, you are. <laughs> you can't understand. You already got them off. Right. You already got them off. Are you going to have to negotiate with a buyer a lot more? <laughs> That's the buyer. Is, <laughs> is there more balance in the market, which makes this fairer and a nicer transaction yeah. for everybody involved? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Sometimes that's it's hard to make understand that, but that's that's my kind of, that's my strategy. It's like you have to understand you've already made that money. Right. You've made your money on the market acceleration. Right. It's sitting in your attic, but you've made it. You didn't. Sell you don't get to see it until you sell, but. You have made it. The house prices are not going down. What we may see moving forward is a static <clears throat> market without much appreciation or what we would call normal appreciation, so which just, is not bad. Just to not be clear with the audience, when you say that, it's because the data is already out there from closed sales that the appraisers can use and agents can use in listing your point, you know, enlisting the house, that's the data that's available now as closed sales. Closed sales. Your asset has appreciated. Right. Think of it that way. Your asset has appreciated. Right. And And it's not going to retrench. And the data is what listing agents and buying agents use as justification. Excuse me, justification. Wanting to put your hands on that cash for no good reason is is not a good reason to be homeless. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I think even even if we were to have a 2007-2008 scenario coming along again, yeah. which, you know, in my real estate experiences was the, the massive right. tsunami, right. 
I still don't see the prices going down a, a terrible amount. Right. Yeah. But this I, is this is the other thing I tell people: who lost money in the tsunami? The people that sold. Right. You know, if we do have a correction and we do have some sort of correction, which I don't actually think we're going to do, but if we do, ride it out. I thought I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, two bedroom, whatever, 385. If my neighbor gets this for her house, I'm selling. I said, don't. (laughs) If you don't need to move, Mm -hmm. stay there until you need Mm -hmm. to move. You're not going any less. Right. Than what mm-hmm. she's just listing hers for? I yeah. am not exaggerating when I say that. In the last six months, I have probably talked at least ten people out of moving. I do because it, all the time. it was an opportunistic in my mind. I yep. want to maximize what I'm getting on my house, and I'm like, without that exit strategy locked down, you could be making a critical mistake. I agree. Mm-hmm. I've had mm-hmm. the same conversation. Yeah, yeah. I I can just imagine the regrets that people would end up with. Okay, Jay. Yes, ma'am. You know, when I have clients that are moving here from out of state, I say, well, let me tell you about due diligence. And they, <laughs> they, say, they say, oh, I know what due diligence is. I say, well, yeah, you know what those two words mean, like if you look it up in the dictionary. But in North Carolina, it's regulated. It's a formalized thing. How do you tell people what due diligence is? Um, in this, well, again, it depends on the market you're in. In this market, what I tell people is due diligence is what you have to remember about due diligence is it's the commitment you're making to the house, to the seller. You are speaking your commitment that I'm going to follow through with this sale with that due diligence. But what you also have to remember is the reason it's a commitment to the seller is because under no circumstances do you get that money back. And then immediately they go, but what if there's a structural issue? Mm-hmm. Under no circumstances do you get that money back. Mm-hmm. Well, what mm-hmm. if it doesn't appraise? Under no circumstances do you get that money back. And I keep saying that over and over again until they start to get it. And then they think it's ridiculous exactly. that we're putting this much due diligence right. down. Yeah. But then I say, this is why we have to take a very close look at the house. This yeah. is why we have to get you educated about what the market's going to do. Because mm-hmm. when you pull the trigger on a house, you are showing total commitment to that house. Right. Do, you know, we used to say, well, it's like you're buying the right to inspect that home. Well, that's... But again, now we're not right, necessarily yeah. doing that. Well, we're not even giving them a due diligence period anymore. Like, we're, most offers, even the ones I've written lately, are basically waiving due diligence. Because we're putting enough due diligence down mm-hmm. that it's it's a moot point anyway. Yeah. So yeah. we're still going to have the house inspected. And if there's something wrong, we will ask. And we will ask nicely and hope for the best. But that's the best mm-hmm. we can do in this market. Mm-hmm. Now, as the market balances more, as it levels, yes, the traditional answer to due diligence is due diligence is a sum of money you give the seller that the seller gets to keep under any circumstances, but it buys you a period of time to investigate that house and make sure it's the right one and to make sure it's in the condition you believe it is. That's when you have your inspections. That's when we have it appraised. That's when you have your survey, if possible. I know, everybody's going to laugh at that one. Like, we can get a surveyor right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, expl- take a minute and explain that. You just yeah, can't get a surveyor can't right get now. Them. You can't get a surveyor Okay, right go now. on. Yeah, not, okay. Certainly not in a due diligence period. Okay. Uh, surveyors are you know, six months out right now. Wow. Um, wow. So, um, but anyway, so it, you are buying a period of time from that seller where if you decide not to buy that house for any or no reason whatsoever, you can walk away and all you're walking away from is that money. So you're buying a period of time for your own peace of mind. And back then, when we were explaining it that way, and it was two thousand dollars, yeah, twenty five hundred dollars, yeah. right? So you know, you have to show some commitment, you know. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. you know, sometimes I'm mean, writing offers with five hundred dollars in due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now that would just be hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but you know, but it's different, right? Due diligence is technically buying a period of time to. Look at the house exclusively. Nobody else can buy it when you're in due diligence. You have the exclusive right to look at that house and to buy it. Somebody else can put in an offer, but it has to be a backup offer, and they can't accept it. I mean, they can accept it as a backup offer, but they can't accept it as a primary offer. You are in pole position to buy that house, and no one else can do it, and that's what you're buying. And then if you change your mind, you're walking away from that money. I'm curious. We've all had the clients say, that is insane. That's crazy. That's criminal. I agree. How And I agree. <laughs> I agree. But do you ever try to, def- people who really want to dig deep will say, 
How did this get started? What's well, the justification? Do you try to defend it? Yes. I, I give the history of how it came about. G- give us the history. With, like when we're talking about, when I'm meeting with the buyer for the first time, I'm going through an offer to purchase and explaining it. I, I tell them the history of, of what happened. It was not designed for the market that we've been in in the last two years. It was designed because we had contingency after contingency after contingency that they kept trying to fine-tune, and lawyers would create another hair-splitting piece of language, and a buyer could pull out if they were crafty enough on the day of closing with no consequence at all, and a seller would have had their house off the market for one or two months and be left with, and I'm trying to use a polite word. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I loved due diligence. When when we had, it was called option one and option two. Mm -hmm. Both of you remember Mm -hmm. this, right? Um, and you could you had a choice, and I remember the pushback from from agents who'd been around a long time. Just oh, and I'm like, That's no, I strange. like yes, but I'm like, I like it. This makes it really clear. It's clean. It is a boundary that is as crystal clear as I could ever wish it to be in a real estate transaction. And then 2020 happened, and you know, before then, I'm like, okay, if we're in competition, or you really want this house or whatever, put up a. a, a Five thousand. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Five grand in due diligence. Put up a large oh amount. Gosh, and that wasn't that long ago. No, ten thousand was so crazy. I remember getting my first ten thousand dollars due diligence in a listing. I thought, oh my gosh. And who's the seller going to pick? Wow. They got two offers. Who's the seller yeah. going to pick? The one where they get to bag that money no matter what, or mm-hmm. the one who's offering the same price but less of that? Mm-hmm. That's a no-brainer. We never saw this stuff coming. Right. Not, mm-hmm. I, you know, if anybody mm-hmm. saw this coming, I'm, I'm yeah. buying, you know, lottery ticket or something. But oh, they can buy the lottery ticket for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so it just kind of got out of out of control, and this is why I look forward to it going back because I think it is a really useful tool for bringing fairness into the transaction. Balance. I think that's what it was supposed mm-hmm. to be about yes. initially. Was well, a balance well, of a balance of risk between the buyer and the seller. That's how I describe it. Exactly. Yeah. Will it's it come back to that? Balance of risk. Yes. I think yes. it's coming yes. back. It's coming, it's coming back. I think, it's so, coming back. I think so, that's so. the shift that we're talking about. Is okay. that it's coming back. It may be a while before we ever see the token amounts of five hundred and a thousand dollars, right? But it, it is it is coming back into a. You buyer still has to show commitment to the house, to at least to some extent, and then it's it's actually fair because if the buyer does want, the seller has their compensation. Right, mm-hmm. I just that's as clear as it could be. I, I think, in terms of are we ever going to go back to the five hundred dollars? What do we do with the first time home buyer looking to spend? hundred thousand dollars who doesn't have a whole bunch of cash. I think that's and I mean this is part of what I was doing during the craziness of sort of writing these things to listing agents about, okay, here's my guy, here's his this is the amount of cash that he's got. That amount of cash is worth as much to him in terms of his ability to walk away from it Mm -hmm. as somebody who is offering you twice as much. Yeah. Please take that into consideration when you because if what you're looking for is a committed buyer, this buyer is just as committed as somebody who has is perhaps even more able to walk away mm-hmm. from a lot. I, yeah, I had somebody say to me, point. I'd be annoyed if I lost 50 Annoyed. A little bugged. I've tried to explain that over and over again to sellers that who is who is really the stronger buyer? The cash buyer who's putting up ten thousand dollars in due diligence or the finance buyer who's putting up ten thousand dollars in due diligence. Right, because the cash buyer, if they're buying a four hundred thousand dollars house, they can walk away from that ten thousand dollars no sweat. But the buyer who's saved up eighty thousand dollars can't blow ten thousand dollars and risk it. So you know that it's the same dollar amount, but the finance buyer is actually your more committed buyer. I think that's such an interesting point. No, and I have I literally I, in my cover letter, you know, no buyer letters anymore. But I, so I'm like. Writing a couple. I think the only I think the only issue that comes up as in in our market where they were so far exceeding the list prices, if they are cash strapped, it comes down to the appraisal, and that's where I think it could be. As long as they show the wherewithal to make up an appraisal, sure, then sure, fine. But they've got to at least have that wherewithal to make an equal right. 
assuming they do because bank of mom and dad has said they're going to give them money or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. i'm sorry mm-hmm. they they can't afford to walk away from ten thousand dollars so we're not going to see this appraisal gap that much anymore right oh, the appraisal is up the, to the sales price is leveling out and they're going to stay yeah. at a nice Crace, steady yeah, you know four six percent a yep. year appreciation rate okay hallelujah again jackie let me give you this one back to the seller preparing the seller the seller says, I don't have any extra money lying around to fix up my home before I sell it, but I know it needs some repairs. What should I do? I mean, that then is where I would come down hard on getting a pre-listing inspection and know exactly what we are going to be dealing with ahead of time that is going to come up, things we need to disclose. And I think that when you take the mystery out of things or the uncertainty you are going to make it easier for that buyer to make a knowledgeable decision about how much they're going to spend on a house. And I, and likewise, as a listing agent, the list price. Because as Jay said earlier, you're going to pay for that stuff one, one way, way or another. The other. Yeah. And I would venture a guess, or I, I believe, that a buyer is going to have a much higher price tag on something they see that needs fixing than a seller is actually going to have to pay fixing it. So you don't want to get into that space between how much a buyer thinks something costs and how much it actually is to fix. So knowledge about what there is so that we can price it accordingly. And as a yeah, to repeat that, you're gonna a seller is going to pay for it one way or the other, absent the last two years of craziness. I'm not basing what I'm saying yeah. on that. Okay. We're starting to run out of time and we got some great questions okay. still we haven't gotten Sorry. to. So Nada, no, that was excellent. Thank you. Hello. Nada, as a buyer, should a bad floor plan be a deal breaker? I think absolutely. Because you can fix a lot of things, but it's <laughs> really hard to fix a bad floor plan. I mm-hmm. think that's probably um Do you guys wanna Talk about what a bad floor plan is. You've seen them. Lord knows you've seen them. Well, we've seen unique floor plans. Unique I wouldn't necessarily call it. It doesn't work for everybody. It might right. work for somebody. Right. But to me, a bad floor plan is a floor plan that does not work for the buyer. Okay. Like if this okay. floor plan does not work for you, right. we need to keep looking because Correct. floor plan is the hardest thing to fix. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But they're I'm famous among my past clients when they've gotten together and we've been having a glass of wine or everything. Like Jackie will say, "That's a bad house." <laughs> what does Jackie mean by "that's a bad house"? <laughs> what does Jackie mean? By I don't know. Well, so house? it's like to me, it's almost it's intuitive. I'm just sort of this doesn't work well, and I agree with you in the sense that if somebody likes to entertain as a floor plan, that's going to be bad for entertainment. On the other hand, there's things like having a half bath that opens right onto the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, a very yeah. poor choice. Yeah, and so the, I think there are but, a number. But boy, of I was going to say, boy, are they out there? And, poor, and I think there are lots of poor choice floor plans. But when I call something really a bad house, it's a combination of factors. It's backing up to a busy road with a power line. The floor plan mm-hmm. is messed. We used to call this fatal flaws. Fatal flaws. <laughs> fatal flaws. I call them unrectifiable issues. Yeah, but and sometimes you can just take down one wall, mm-hmm. right? And and you've changed. The whole thing, but I do think there are bad floor plans, and I'm using air quotes. Mm-hmm. That nine out of ten people would would not be. Uh, I'm actually always amazed at the number of people, both my buyers and when I'm listing a house, when I get feedback from agents who say these people needed a main floor primary bedroom, and it doesn't have a main floor primary bedroom. I'm like, why did you look at this house? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there are sometimes when it could maybe they're looking at it because it could be that the house could be added on to maybe in addition. You know, the, so there's sometimes very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Is there um, something in the house that can be made? That, 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 are there are there different ways to use the space? Could could a, could a room mm-hmm. that is not specifically uh, designated or obviously a bedroom could it be converted to live as a bedroom? Uh-huh. Is it uh-huh. accessible, or would there be a way to? plum for a bathroom near it you know yeah. so it's kind of interesting that way but I would say that that is probably the biggest um issue is that that's not really rectifiable it goes that that and location 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 <laughs> see I'm feeling a little picked on right now because I know I have given that native that feedback <laughs> <laughs> the bedroom through the bedroom 
You've seen those? Oh, yeah. Better, <laughs> how better, how is that? A, the buyer who says, I want to buy a house, but I'll only be here for five years while I finish my training. Very, very common in this, uh, in the triangle. What issue should I be concerned about for resale? Who wants to take that? I think we all actually uh, answered that question in unison a, a few minutes ago. Location, location. Oh, uh, okay. And okay. I, I think it's one of those things where I, that's one of the first things on my intake questionnaire sort of thing is how long do you plan on holding on to mm-hmm. this piece of real estate because that's going to factor into my advice as to where you should buy or what you should buy okay but, um yes absolutely so right. you could you there are things where as long as the person's going to hold on to it for 20 years mm-hmm. i'd almost guarantee they're going to walk away with a, a large bag of money Mm-hmm. Um, five years, not necessarily so much, mostly because it's not the kind of thing that's selling right now or whatever it is. But right. that is mm-hmm. timing is crucial. Mm-hmm. That's, crucial. That, that's something that I, I would also tell folks is if you are looking for a short term, like five years, I still consider a short term. If you're looking for the short term, be aware of those insurmountable issues, the insurmountable issues like the power line in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know exactly what the market's going to be like when you're selling. Like, we're in a strong market right now. A power line in the backyard isn't stopping a house from selling. But, right? Yeah. What but could be discovered about power lines? in a slower lines. market, you could be yeah. taking a bath on that mm-hmm. because yep. you're selling it in a slower market. So watch out for those insurmountable issues. And then location, location, location. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the first things that we as agents of North Carolina have to do with our clients is give them the working with realtors brochure and spiel and talk about dual agency. Jay, what if your client turns to you as a buyer or seller and says, how should I feel about a dual agent? I run. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't practice dual agency. I think it's a... Well, we need to talk about dual agency yeah. as an umbrella of yeah. the company. Right, and then, right. The company, right. yeah. The member of the company can be a dual agent, and then you can be a designated agent with inside that dual agency. And that's fine, because... We you know, want other agents in the company. Right. So, yeah. If you have other good agents in your office, of course you want them selling the property uh-huh. or buying the property. That's fine. Designated dual agency is fine. Huh. Um, but true dual agency, where the same agent is representing both parties... Um, you're basically taking the agent's teeth out of dinner, you know, because you can't really give anybody any meaningful advice. So you're looking at this great meal, but you, you can't eat it. You know, you have nothing. You can't give any advantage to one or the other. It's illegal so you're taking, to do that. You're taking your, you know, your ability to help them out of the equation. And what point is that? So I don't practice it. I have done it maybe once or twice in my entire career when I was asked to. Um, and I just, I, I think it's a bad form. There's no real reason to do it. Um, so this is one of those things that I've heard conflicting explanations of from the Real Estate Commission point of view as to the duty that you, or not the Real Estate Commission, although by default, but in, in uh, CE classes. What is the duty that an agent owes their client in that situation? Are you, if you have a buyer agency agreement with someone and you have a listing agreement with someone and that buyer is buying that house, are you supposed to represent them as if you are literally not hearing the other side's point of view or do you become just a facilitator? How do you explain that? Are you, do we say to people, it's just we're just here to facilitate? In which case, you know, if I was the buyer or the seller, I'm like, there's the reduced commission. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not able to bring your advice to the table here, mm-hmm. uh, what am I paying you for? Mm-hmm. But so much of advice, so much is, is our instinct and our, our mm-hmm. intuition. And if we know the buyer and we know the seller, we can't divorce our instinct and intuition from that. Okay. I'm going to throw this out to <coughs> all of you. Do people who buy real estate, as an, as an investor, you know, any type of investor, generally find it a successful way to grow their money. Yes. I, I would say I would say absolutely. I, um, I have used real estate to help a lot of people change their financial position in life. Wow. And I've done it over and over again. Do I, Am I working with investors right now? Well, no, because... They're looking for deals. It's the wrong market. Right. It's the wrong I, I, market. Yeah. Um, but... What, it, what what goes around 
you know, changes. And so we'll see a time for investors to get back into the market. Right or, now, or the they're... investors who are in the market are <clears throat> local people that were, it's not the old formula where, hey, I've got this first time buyer and I'm helping them buy their first house. And then five years later, I'm like, no, don't sell that first house. Hold on to that. That's your first investment property. And now we're going to get you into another house, but don't sell it. Hang on to it. And of course, now, like that asset is worth more than anything they could have invested in anywhere else. Yeah. And they still have that lovely owner-occupied interest rate they got when they bought it. So somebody else has been paying that mortgage while it's been appreciating. There's no other vehicle like investing in real estate for building wealth. I'm, I still am a firm believer in it. Agreed. I, it gives me great joy, actually, the number of people that have change their lives because of making a wise investment. And it is part of why I don't understand why people don't pick their real estate agents a little bit more carefully. Um, Because I do feel like that's part of what I've been hired to do is to look after somebody's financial life Mm -hmm. in a certain area Mm -hmm. and give them the opportunity of um, of bettering themselves and their their security. I think, um, I mean, the... The best evidence of this is uh, I had buyers who bought here. This happened a lot. Buyers who bought here right at the beginning of COVID, like 2019 into 20, right when COVID was starting, and then sold. This happened in a couple. They had to sell. They moved out of state again, and some of them were able to sell for two or three hundred thousand dollars more than they paid for it just a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what other. Those people Again. are lucky. But well, yeah, yeah but timing yeah. timing is everything there. Timing is totally you know, everything. If you look at the in terms timeline of and the trajectory, some of the favorite clients I ever had came that they were looking at two and a half million dollar properties. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, and this is 10, 15 years ago. I thought they were just very wealthy. No. They had bought something just north of New York City for thirty thousand dollars thirty years earlier. Oh, yeah. wow. And they were selling it for two and a half million. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And I tell that story to my first time home buyers all the time. Now, obviously, we're not like just north of New York City, but we're not, you know, we're not that far off uh, yeah. here. Yeah. You know, this is, this is the time. Okay. In closing, we're going to ask the question, how much will closing cost be? I, so, and I think as we just mentioned, the, the, there are two pools for that there's the lender closing costs and i remember when i first started and i would pre-qualify buyers i would be doing the math and telling them how much they could afford and i don't know how many loan programs there were back then uh, but not very many Uh, and today i'm completely out of that so it's a question that i really am not as an agent able to answer there are just too many mortgage and lending programs out there for all the different kinds of buyers and it is going to be entirely dependent on but you can that. talk about the components of closing costs. You can. And that, so I break it down into the lender closing costs and the closing costs that I can help them manage, which is an, an, what I view as inspection costs, appraisal costs, which is, you know, broaches both the lender and, and us, but all of those types of and things. Attorney and attorney fees. And the, right. All of and taxes. And, and some of those do come in both columns, the lender mm-hmm. and, and, you know, actually sort of buying the house in terms of its physical piece. Mm-hmm. But it is there is no way for me to give a fully accurate picture of that number, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially with a first time home buyer. I'll go and we'll talk. I'll say this is roughly between this and this for a home inspection. Depending on the inspections that you want to do, whether it's radon, termites, scoping the sewer line, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, here are your here are your numbers. But the lender thing, you're going to have to make sure to take talk to the lender about. And one mm-hmm. of the things that happened as a result of the crash is that the good faith estimate is the same form for every lender. Whereas prior to the crash, that wasn't the case. They'd be giving out loan estimates, and it was very hard for a buyer to compare apples to apples because different numbers were in different sections and called different things. Whereas now, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Warren, thanks to her and the the Financial Protection Bureau, uh, that is all on one line so Mm -hmm. you can line up three different good faith estimates and actually know what you're shopping for but pay attention there Mm -hmm. are you can negotiate fees origination Mm -hmm. fees for instance yeah and there's all sorts of other things you know i get the the impression a lot of times that buyers are afraid to talk to lenders because they're waiting for a decision from them they see them as the judge so i think that it's important for them to ask those questions you're suggesting 
and know that they're in a powerful position there. Yeah, they're the customer. I, yes, they're the customer. absolutely. And, yeah, and I think a lot of people are intimidated uh -huh. by that, uh -huh. especially if they don't feel financially very savvy. I think that they just automatically feel lesser, yeah. and then yeah. it's, it's difficult to ask questions. Yeah. Well, ladies, we have run out of time. Jay, Jackie, Nada, I can't thank you enough. And the OCHAR members and, and hopefully their clients who are listening to this will benefit greatly. So I'm grateful. Thanks again. Have a great remainder of your summer and try not to work so hard. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. This has been an episode of Welcome Home, a production of the Orange Chatham Association of Realtors. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>